On Perspective this week, we're trying a different take on digging up the past. Rather than political muckraking, we're sifting through a rich vein of archaeology. Over the past four years, Dr Rachel Crellen has been leading a team which has been uncovering fascinating historical artefacts from a burial mound at Burke, just south of Kirkmichael. There's still a lot of post-dig material to investigate, but already some exciting new discoveries have been made. So why does all this matter? I spoke to Dr Crellen on a fairly windy dig site and began by asking why they chose this site. The OS map and the original records for this area record there as being three burial mounds and we did a geophysics survey over the whole of the top of the hill and selected this one to dig, which we started doing in 2017. And we came back in 2018 and 2019 and then we were disrupted for two years by the pandemic and now we're back again in 2022. The other two burial mounds, we've actually done more geophysical survey on and um, flown a drone over the top of in the very dry summer of 2018. And we don't actually think they are burial mounds anymore. We think they might be a later feature, possibly an Iron Age enclosure. But the burial mound we've got, if we imagine kind of the top of the hill to begin with, the first kind of action that we have in relation to it being a burial site is the being the digging of a great big pit that cuts into the earth. And at the bottom of that pit, uh, a body was placed uh, surrounded by a bracket of stones on two sides. And that's the body that was associated with the absolutely incredible jet necklace that people might have seen pictures of and a matching bracelet as well. So over 130 beads that came out of the bottom of there that are absolutely stunning the first of its kind from the Isle of Man and a kind of necklace that we see in other parts of Britain and Ireland as well and that was last year's uh... Uh, that was 2019 that that came out yeah effectively last year because yeah. we weren't here for two years because of the pandemic but yes so over the top of that burial uh, it appears to have been marked with a post and then we have a pause and that pause could be a day or it could be a hundred years or 200 years we can't tell yet until we've done the carbon dating but over the top of the of the big pit, they build quite a wide and shallow mound over the top of it. And as they're building that, they include additional burials that are in upturned pottery vessels inserted into that layer. There's then a pause, and again, that could be a week or a day, or it could be several hundred years, something we'll unravel afterwards. And they then add another layer to the mound, making it taller and uh, thicker in the middle. And as that layer is added in, yet more burials are inserted into the mound. Then around the edge of that, they add a ring of rubbly cairn material. So the cairn doesn't cover the whole thing. It just kind of goes around the edge like a donut. And large blocks are placed discontinuously around the edge. And they're mostly Manx group slate. Um, They then go back into the mound and they insert a kist that contains uh, a pottery vessel and an under two-year-old. They uh, inserted a much bigger kist that also contained cremated remains and they dug additional pottery vessels into the mound and additional burials and some that just went into small pits. And at the minute we have 11, a minimum of 11 people were cremated and placed at the site and in addition our uh, initial burial that has a skeleton uh, that has an inhumation associated with it. 
below all of that, we've actually also got evidence of late Neolithic activity, so before the Bronze Age. And in the Isle of Man, the late Neolithic's a bit different than what we see elsewhere in Britain and Ireland. We refer to it as the Ronald's Way period, named after the site at the airport. And we've increasingly, in the last couple of days, as we're finishing off the dig, we're finding underneath the mound Ronald's Way pottery uh, and other bits of evidence, flints and uh, charcoal. So it was a site that was in use over a great span of years, as it turns out, which is really uh, exciting. And, and what's different about uh, the Isle of Man uh, compared with everywhere else? In the Ronald's Way Lake Neolithic, they have a different kind of pottery than what goes on elsewhere. They make these kind of very big, thick vessels that are quite baggy in shape and are often buried in the ground up to their necks, uh, almost like a kind of a, a container within the earth. In addition, they have a different kind of uh, flint toolkit. They include these things we call humpback scrapers that you only really get on the Isle of Man. And they do something quite different to their axes as well. They roughen the butts of them and often cut them short. So they're referred to as roughened, truncated butt axes. And those are, again, only primarily found on the Isle of Man. There are a couple from other places around the Irish Sea, but they are a Manx phenomenon. And the sad thing for those of us who who, who like to know about these sorts of things is... Um, all you've really got is is what you've just been describing. You can't actually um, tell what what these people were. How, you know, you know a bit from from what you've dug, but you can't really uh, say they were uh, they believed in such and such. They did such and such. It's it's a lot of it is speculation, and and that's not a, a route that archaeologists like to go too far down. I actually think there's quite a lot of things that we can tell. We can tell that it was appropriate to do different things to different people's bodies when they died. We can see that cremation was a really important process for them. We can understand that they have uh, clear beliefs about what should happen to bodies and people. So there is lots we can know. Yes, archaeologists don't like speculation and there will always be things that we can't know. But I think the kind of story coming out of this site is an incredibly rich one. And in terms of what you're finding um, at the moment, um, what, what, how significant uh, is all of this? I think it's really significant. So this is the first Bronze Age burial, burial mound from the Isle of Man that's been excavated using modern techniques. Antiquarians excavated loads of these and they'd basically jolly up on a Sunday, put a hole in the middle, find something and go to a second mound before they had their lunch. Here we've spent a really long time, we've used modern scientific techniques, we've excavated the whole mound almost. Um, and that has changed our picture. We know that there's a minimum of 12 people that were buried at this site now, um, which is a completely different picture than what we had before and then the jet necklace is significant on a British and Irish scale as well as a Manx scale so I think that's really exciting and that we've also then got this kind of late Neolithic activity trapped underneath again really adds to the importance of this and what it's going to be able to help us learn and understand about the Neolithic and the Bronze Age in the Isle of Man over the coming years as we complete the after work that goes on what we call a post excavation analysis. And the big pot that you found. Pot. Tell we've, us about the big pot. We've got several big pots actually. We've taken two out this year. They're both upturned vessels, both decorated, one very elaborately decorated. We refer to that one as an encrusted urn, uh, one less elaborately decorated. And they're both upturned over cremation deposits. Um, and they were lifted as kind of whole as they could be. And they've gone to the Manx Museum already, where they will eventually be very slowly excavated by myself and the osteologist. And we'll unpick their story and 
the peep person or people who are buried within them in uh, in more controlled conditions. So they're really exciting and beautiful vessels. They're quite crushed because they've been in the earth for 4,000 years, but uh, they're really beautiful and fascinating. And, and so far, is there anything you can tell about these vessels that uh, interest you uh, particularly? Um, they tie into broader patterns of what we see in Britain and Ireland. Encrusted urns are more common in Ireland than they are in other parts of Britain, and that speaks to kind of connections in that direction at this time. And um, they're what we would expect for this period, but they are quite stunning. There's only kind of two other ones in a similar condition to the very beautiful encrusted urn um, from the Isle of Man, so that's quite exciting for us. And. In terms of all the work that you've been doing, well, I suppose the first question, are you coming back? <laughs> we uh, we will be back to do uh, post-excavation work. So we are going to close up the site on Friday, which will be quite an uh, interesting day. Um, quite emotional, I think, uh, having spent so much time up here. Uh, but there will be lots and lots of work to do on all the things that we found, and that will be the next stage of things. So we'll be back working away in the basement of the museum and uh, no doubt giving talks and uh, sharing what we've learned with people over the coming years. And I suppose uh, you mentioned closing up. Um, when would be the last time it was opened, uh, would you say? I mean, can you give a, a rough uh, estimate of that? The sense of kind of, um, the kind of first activity at the site is maybe around 2000 BC, so about 4,000 years ago in terms of the burial mound. But the Ronald's Way evidence that we're finding below suggests that people were up here at 3000 BC, so 5,000 years ago on the side of this hill, looking out and seeing Ireland and Scotland on the horizon, just like we do today. So it must be quite something um, to have found these things that haven't been touched effectively for 5,000 years. That is the absolute magic of archaeology, right? That kind of sense of seeing something that nobody has seen for that time. I think the day when we came down onto the burial deposit in the bottom of the pit, the first one that went in, associated with the beautiful necklace, and we realised the kind of scale of nobody has seen this beautiful object for 4,000 years, and some people who really cared about this individual gave them this elaborate burial with this beautiful item and thinking about the kind of emotion of that handling um human remains is always uh quite a, a and quite an emotional experience in many ways as you think about that person and their life and the people who took the time to bury them and treat them in particular kinds of ways and that is how it should be you should be thinking about that in a really respectful way and that is a very kind of human moment and we've had a lot of very human moments as we've seen these fragments of life from 4,000 years ago on the top of this hill and interacted with them for the first time mm. in thousands of years. And in terms of significance, I suppose the significance internationally but also significance for the Isle of Man, what, what, how, how would you rate this site? I mean obviously it's your site so you, <laughs> you've got to be a bit biased. Well I think what I should tell you is that when we started excavating this we picked it because it was relatively low lying and we weren't sure whether, we didn't, it's not scheduled, we didn't think it would be a mind-blowing site and it has been a mind-blowing site. I have 
read every excavation report for the Bronze Age on the Isle of Man and the late Neolithic, and I didn't think we would find anything as amazing as we found here. And it's also helping us, so it's, it's amazing for the Isle of Man, but it's also of significance more widely for Britain and Ireland. And myself and my co-director, Professor Chris Fowler, regularly talk about the site at conferences with experts from elsewhere who are equally excited by the things that we found and the stories that we can tell from it. So it's a really, really exciting site. And you've got a great uh, team here. Um, all volunteers or, or, or some... Uh um, uh, pressed hands. <laughs> All volunteers in one sense. So we have students from uh, Leicester and Newcastle who are completing their fieldwork component. Uh, some of them have been with us for two weeks, some of them have been with us for four weeks and then we've had a massive team of local volunteers. Some of them have come every single day to dig with us and others of them have been up uh, maybe for a day or a couple of days or one day a week so a really varied team of people getting to have a go at archaeology and learn the kind of key skills that you need to to be able to be an archaeologist and in terms of finds obviously the 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 the, the big stuff is is, is the stuff that uh, attracts most attention uh, any smaller things that you found that you think uh, you know, that, that this is this is really exciting or, or um, um, worthy of merit um, everybody talks about the necklace and it is beautiful and the pottery vessels are really impressive too. I actually, as an archaeologist, I really like the kind of small stories of sequence. So there's a kist that we've excavated this year and we can see that they built the kist and they inserted a complex set of different layers of floors and then the kist sagged over and they went back in and reinserted stones to prop it back up again. And maybe that was five years after they built it or maybe it was a hundred years and they're going back and and rearranging the stones in this kist. So it's not a find in that sense of an object, but it's a story about people returning to this place and rethinking uh, what's going on here and reshaping the structures that they've built within the mound. I really like that small detail that there's a little stone that they had clearly, they'd at the end of the kist had fallen in and somebody had gone in with this stone and propped it underneath to hold the sides of the kist up. I really like that tiny moment that you can see somebody fixing something almost 4,000 years ago. So a strange find for your what's small and good, but yeah, to me, that's a neat story. The whole project was designed with Manx National Heritage and they are the major funder for it and their kind of support and their desire to learn things about the site has um, helped drive and shape the project and that's been really amazing to know that it's going to have a legacy for the Isle of Man in terms of how they think about and protect this kind of site and how they, um, well, they're going to have all the finds and eventually things will be on display and that's really important to us too. And of course, as you say, it wasn't a scheduled uh, monument, so presumably no one's actually dug this before. No, that's why we selected this site, because it hadn't been dug before at all. Um, so it's uh, a really exciting opportunity in that sense, because antiquarians have dug into so many of them. So the bottom of the trench is currently a kind of sandy ginger layer, and that's a natural. And into that, we've got late Neolithic features are cut. We then come up and you can see on top of that, there's a big, thick, dark layer. And that was the soil level when the construction of the mound first began. The giant pit containing the necklace is cut into that. Above that, we get different layers that you can see, different colours in the soil. They have different textures and compositions that are built up over the top of it that form the mound and um, 
on to uh, top of that, in the areas where the cairn is, you also have the rubbly material over the top of it, which uh, we can see in the side of the trench walls there coming around. So, so it's not huge, really, is it, in, in terms of the, the, uh, the depth um, that, uh, the, the, or the, the height to which it's been built up? There's been erosion processes that have gone on that have made it um, shallower than it is. So it's on top of a hill and the the nature of the hill itself means that lots of material has been dragged down and off it over time. And we know that erosion has gone on that has reduced the height of some of what we can see. The pit itself was actually containing the jet necklace was, was very deep, uh, over a metre in depth. Um, from the surface so a really kind of significant hole what we've got out this year isn't too deep which is useful <laughs> yes i suppose that's handy <laughs> um yeah and, and there's still quite a lot that's not excavated uh, is that because you've not f found anything from the surveys you, you, you've done or is that just to leave it for future actually uh, most of it is excavated okay. so you can't see that we've had other trenches All open right. that aren't open this year and they've been backfilled there are small slithers of uh, ground that has been left unexcavated between things and those uh, bits allow us to understand the vertical sequence of the sites they're really important to us some of them are going to be taken out uh, before Friday but actually some of them are going to stay there so uh, I was very lucky a few years back to work on sites that have been excavated by Gerhard Burst during the world war and um, what I went back for at those sites was to literally find the upstanding archaeology that he'd left in order to get out material that we could apply modern techniques like radiocarbon dating to so leaving our tiny bits of things which is probably less than five percent of the mound that's left at this point um, will allow some future archaeologists should they want to to go and rethink all the work that Chris and I have done here. Excellent and uh... So, so what was what was found in this particular bit? Anything particular of interest? Um, this trench that we're looking over right now has just kind of shown us the general sequence of the mound. Uh, our other trench over here, we've had uh, two upright pottery vessels out of, a cremation that was inserted in the mound, and a kist. Uh, so lots of kind of significant bits and pieces in there um, to keep us interested. That was Dr Rachel Crellen, the dig director, at a very blustery site. Dot Saunders was helping out on the dig, so I asked her what her role as a volunteer includes. Um, I've, been, um, I've been doing all sorts, actually, this time. I've, I've, this is the third season I've been here. And uh, I've been doing plenty of troweling um, and shifting of earth, um, wheelbarrows, lifting heavy wheelbarrows, um, I've been doing some really fine work um, excavating um, bits of cremated bone where I had to use um, like a cocktail stick to ferret round for things. Um, I've been doing some, lo lots of drawing this year, which I haven't done much of before, which has been interesting, doing plans and section drawings. And today I'm concentrating on context sheets, which is something which was new to me yesterday which is um, getting the, the fine details of the context, the actual soil that you're digging through and what's in it and what it looks like and what colour it is and all sorts of things like that. So I've had a huge range of experience this time of um, um, parts of archaeology that I hadn't really done before. And you are a volunteer, you, you, you're not a, a trained archaeologist, uh, but you do have an interest. Absolutely, yes. I, I did a fair bit of archaeology when I was a student and when I was at school. 
and I studied archaeology for, as part of my degree and then never picked up a trowel for 40 years and then when this this appeared so close to where I live it was it was like a gift from heaven and I'm back in in the in the archaeological world in a way that I never thought I would be again and it's it's fabulous I love it every minute of it and it's been a pretty good week uh, or two weeks is it two weeks you've been doing it three three now just over three um the, yeah the weather's not we had we rained off two days which was a bit miserable um but the rest of the time it's been mostly dry a bit windy when it's very windy up here um all the the, the earth gets very dry and you get wind blowing in your face um, blowing the sand in your face which isn't much fun but um yeah good conditions on the whole yeah and uh, i mean is is today's windiness just kind of normal background wind for kirk michael <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> it's often windier than than this yeah and, and what's the most exciting thing that you've uh, actually found the most exciting thing I've found, I think it's probably the, the cremated bone because it, it's, you're actually handling something that was potentially part of a human being from thousands of years ago. And it's, it's, that, it's, it's I think we're, in a way we're quite privileged to be able to do that. Yeah, certainly uh, when I was talking to Rachel earlier, you know, she's suggesting that uh, it's at least 4,000 years since yeah. since anyone has been able to access this yeah. site yeah that's quite it's, and it's quite incredible that, that you you're touching things that haven't been touched for that length of time and that some human being touched bits of flint that they were napping to create something wonderful i've only ever found the edge bits that the people threw away I haven't, i've never found something wonderful that they made out of flint but we've had a couple of um uh, an arrowhead um and uh, and some scrapers that other people have found so yeah and, and are there ever, uh, you, you never thought of any sort of Indiana Jones moments that maybe if you lift this particular stone up, the whole hill will disappear and you'll go rolling <laughs> down into a dark chasm? No, but you always think if I lift that stone or if I move that trowel, I might find something really exciting. <laughs> That's always there. But no, we're not expecting um, <laughs> Indiana Jones moments. <laughs> that was Dig Volunteer Dot Saunders. No exciting tunnels or vast hidden temples full of traps, but plenty to be excited about at the Burke Archaeological Dig. Alison Fox works for Manx National Heritage, which has supported the dig. In terms of what I tend to do, which is recording um, people's stories, um, people often say, it's a shame you hadn't come 50 years earlier. But actually, with archaeology, it's the other way around, isn't it? It's a shame 50 years ago they hadn't waited to have the technology that, uh, that we've got now. I think that's a really good point about this particular project, is that as well as the fantastic discoveries that Rachel and Chris have been making at Burke, um, they've also looked at the existing holdings in the Manx National Collections in the Manx Museum that were found you know, over 100 years ago, and they've applied modern scientific techniques to those so we're finding out more about the people from those excavations as part of this project so it's not just about this mound it's putting it in the context of the whole of the island and how the island fits into the you know the wider scheme of things and and this is quite exciting well certainly uh, Rachel who we've spoken to earlier is excited um, uh, are you allowed to be excited by this I think so I think if um, I'm not allowed to be excited I'm definitely in the wrong job I think it, it is it is amazing I think when um, 
when you've been involved in archaeology, I think you've always got it in your head that the excavation is the middle part, if you like, of the technique. So there's a lot of research that goes on before a spade is put into the ground, there's the excavation, and then it's once everything's out, right, well, that's the time, you know, to learn about all these fantastic things that have made and really start to pull those stories together and tell people more about, we've found these magnificent pots, but who was in them? How many people were in the male female, child, adult, you know, what similarities do we have from this part of the island to other parts of the island? So the next post-excavation phase is just as crucial and in some ex- to some extent more exciting as well than, than this phase because you start to put the, um, the metaphorical flesh on the bones, I guess. And, and uh, again, the, the, this site uh, wasn't actually uh, registered as, a, as a, of any significance. Um, so how, how was it found and... Uh, um, are, are there numerous other sites all around the island that uh, that are just waiting to have uh, um, protection or, or, or work done on them? Certainly this particular site was chosen because it has had uh, no real disturbance in the past. Um, it's one of quite a few sites that we think are this sort of period so the Bronze Age um, but they have been marked on old maps so the Ordnance Survey maps of the 1860s, 1870s do show what's known as tumuli or tumulus, you know, monuments um, so it's always been known that there's something here but not really the true nature of it so, you know, as, as well as finding out the story of the people of the mound it's also learning more about the archaeology that we've got you know, we, we've got the, the big obvious monuments that people are more familiar with but there's so many more out there that are recorded um, that are on the old maps so it's just trying to again pull pull all those threads together which is something this project will help us do for this particular period of the island's prehistory. And of course if money were no object it would be fantastic wouldn't it to be able to go around the island and actually find and properly record all the, the, the sites that do exist, uh, do some proper surveys so, so that you actually understand what is beneath the ground. Um, because there's a wealth of, uh, of, of heritage um, uh, still waiting to be discovered. There really is, and it's not necessarily all about digging and exploring them. Uh, you know, we've found, even in the past... 20 years or so since I've really been involved uh, in archaeology, the scientific techniques have advanced so much now. So there needs to be a lot to be left in the ground for future archaeologists to look at, but also pe- for people just to, you know, walking our fabulous Manx landscape, just to enjoy, just to see and enjoy. Not everything has to be um, explored by excavation, but by doing limited excavation, you know, it really helps us understand these particular periods of Manx life. So next steps as far as Manx National Heritage is concerned uh, with with regards to this uh, particular site? What we'll do is we have the... um all the finds from the excavations now in the museum and we'll look at uh, a post-excavation, potential post-excavation project with Rachel and Chris and the two universities. Um, obviously Max National Heritage has been involved from the start so we want to you know, continue that relationship. So we'll look at the, the best plan now for what's been found and hopefully, you know, it, it needn't take too long, you know, maybe hopefully in the next two or three years we'll have the complete story of this amazing monument at Burke. 
because that's that's one of the sad things occasionally with these uh, sorts of things is uh, everything starts off it's, uh, the excavations are done and then um, you, potentially years go by before we actually get to to find out what uh, what the, the the conclusions of the uh, of the the, uh, the the finds and, and and all the investigations were. I think certainly planning at the start of an excavation um, really helps. You've got to be realistic about the the time and the expense that's involved in excavation you know you're essentially destroying a monument by taking away layer by layer so you need to make sure you're going to do that properly and you're going to do it justice um also you never know what you're going to find so a project that perhaps you know was due to take two seasons of digging might turn up something amazing and it might actually need five seasons of digging so you know it's um you can do as much planning as you like, but sometimes things like a global pandemic <laughs> intervenes and things take a little bit longer. But I think nowadays in archaeology, archaeologists are very much more aware of the need to plan from start to finish. So it's not just going in and get about going in and getting the stuff out. It's about the complete project, and that's what this project has been a really good example of. And in terms of the, you know. A taxpayer that may be listening in and thinking, what are they doing spending all that money on such and such? Actually, this is, well, first of all, it gives us a, a far better understanding about who we are, but also uh, in terms of the, you know, if, if, we, if we must look at things purely from an economic point of view, uh, this is putting the Isle of Man on the map, really, isn't it? It's certainly putting the Isle of Man on the map, and the more we go into the post-excavation project, the more and more that will happen. Um, I think uh, a lot of the funds at the M&H um, have, been, have been putting towards the project have come from our trustees' charitable reserves. Um, but I think, you know, we're all so proud of living on the Isle of Man um, that the Isle of Man's full story deserves being told and by excavating and doing projects like that that's how we really get to grips with it and that's really I think how we tell that we had influence influences from elsewhere but we always had this Manx twist um, we've always been you know our, our own our own place um, with contacts with other places and it's projects like this and other excavations that have shown this time and time again. That was Alison Fox from Manx National Heritage explaining the value of this work. After the break, we'll hear from digger and heritage promoter John Shakespeare. John Shakespeare has been a very active participant in archaeology for several decades and has done a lot to promote the heritage and culture of our island. I spoke to John at Peel Castle and asked him why the castle is so important to him. I think, as we we know, that the last ice age in the Isle of Man was sort of 15,000 years ago. And because of that, we say on the Isle of Man we've got 10,000 years of history. And we know we've got 6,000 years of history on this castle from what we've excavated during the time that I was in, involved in the excavation. So this, this, isle, this St. Patrick's Isle tells the history of the Isle of Man in, what, in one place. So in, in, in terms of uh, Peel, I mean, you, you, you've been very actively engaged in... Uh, archaeological digs in in the castle how did that uh, how, how did you get involved with that i think because we moved here and i hadn't got a job i just heard about the excavations i've been passionate about castles my whole life and i don't know if it's different for you because you were born here but the first time you drive over the hill and see the castle in front of you it's an incredible sight so soon as I was here in, in the early 84, I just came straight down and said, Can, and they were advertising for volunteers to get, get involved. And so, so I did that. And um, 
I think the first year we had that Easter where, where it was open and uh, that we had the snow come down. Um, climate change, all a bit, bit different now. And so I just, got, I just got stuck in. And I have to say, Bill, it was the happiest years of my life to this, to this day. Never, never, never bettered. In, in terms of uh, the dig then, uh, I mean, again, I would imagine most people's knowledge of, of archaeology um, maybe, uh, maybe this is showing my age, would be from uh, watching Time Team on uh, Channel 4. Uh, maybe, maybe some people would have a little bit more of an idea, but uh, wh- why is it so important? At the time, the Peel Castle excavations, th- there'd been talk, th- I've got a photograph here of what the... Um, Photographs don't work that well on radio. I'm going to try and describe it because it's important. If you look at it, it's the building fund news from July the 4th, 1879. So there's always been plans to restore the cathedral to to its greatness. And um, I think the, the, the excavation started to try and find out the military relationship with the ecclesiastical relationship, the church. And when they started doing some exploratory work, they just found this massive richness of archaeology and uh, also that there's some of the structures. I mean, we're sitting in Peel Castle today and the museum are, are finally, you know, looking at it and, and actually doing some really good uh, building and conservation work. So well done to them. And of course, the castle needs ongoing work. And that was also a process of what was being looked at, particularly the uh, north wall of the, of the, of the cathedral. Um, so, so it was a chance to, to open up and try and find that relationship what happened from the church. And, and of course we've got the Chronicles of Man that tell us about Magnus Barelegs arriving 1098 and all that sort of stuff. And, and Peel Home or, or Peel Castle has been mentioned through that. So it's a chance to open up and see, see what's going on. Now archaeology of course is destructive. Processes change as well and we can, we can if you mention isotope analysis later on in the interview we'll talk about how that's changed our view potential views not 100 percent sure of what we actually discovered in peel castle and wrote about so we'd have to have a, a different view sort of 30 years on um, but it, it it it's a way of process of finding out through the layers of of actually what happened on this site and, and of course peel castle was much more than the uh, sort of center administ- of administration for the isle of man wasn't it it, so we know that the, the, the position of the Isle of Man in the Kingdom of the Isles, or the Sidoris. So the Isle of Man controlled, you know, all the way up to the Orkneys and Shetlands and, and Skye. So it's positioned in the middle of the Isle of Man. And if you look at a map, we're in the middle of Great Britain. But those sea routes were critically important. I think that's the other thing. So I'm part of the Vikings organisation, not just the Vikings of Man. And they tell us we can't wear turtle brooches. But of course, now what have we gone and done last year? Found turtle brooches, Viking turtle brooches. So female dress attire. So you always try and go for authenticity. But we've got this melting pot of cultures just passing our door. So that's what makes the, the Isle of Man uh, really important as well. You mentioned isotope analysis. Uh, tell us about that. Well, science, science has advanced quite a lot, which is probably one of the other reasons we don't sometimes need to dig anymore, because you've got surveys you can do with magnetometer surveys and seismic surveys, and, and LIDAR. LIDAR's uh, what Dave Martin did. He's, he's found us another 10 sites, I think, on, on the Isle of Man that we, we weren't aware of. So there's all sorts of techniques. And, and, and LIDAR, how does that work? Um, that's by sending up a camera and taking uh, lots of photographs, uh, 
pointing laser beams into the ground. So it can actually interpret what's on the ground through trees as well. So uh, that, that's what's giving us more information through, through places that are not normally accessible. So cameras go up, they fire the laser beams down at uh, every second or tenth of a second they're firing beams down. So it gives you a complete 3D mapping of the Isle of Man. So that, that's been fascinating. So scientific techniques. I started my archaeology in a place called Repton in Derbyshire. So I happened to be at school at Repton Public School. And there someone called Martin Biddle excavated the Winter Army. And there was a discord in, in slightly off, off kilter, but I'll explain why. Um, there was a discord in, what, in the Viking graves that he found, that he found graves that he thought were older um, because uh, they'd been put in the grave. And his, his uh, concept was that the Viking warrior that died had dug up other graves in the, early, in the Christian graveyard, put them with the Viking warrior to go to, to Valhalla. What we know now through luminescence or a different sort of archaeological process is that some of the, the, the bones that he thought were put in the grave were difference in uh, carbon-14 dating because of their effect on the salt, and we've only just worked that out now. So they were contemporary, they weren't different. So here, particularly Piocasa is famous for what we call the pagan lady. And when the, she came out the ground, she was in a Christian cemetery, Christian alignment, but full of Viking, what we call, well, grave goods, which included a cooking spit, uh, cloth cutting shears, goose feathers, some material, a pestle and mortar. But of course, the most spectacular thing of all was uh, her necklace made up of 73 glass, gem, uh, amber and jet beads. So um, we, we postulise what, what, this, what this could mean. We're fairly sure from the dating that we did back in the 80s or early 90s that the grave was buried around 950 at a time when the Vikings were converting to Christianity on the Isle of Man. So we kind of thought about the process and was it a Viking warrior coming in and perhaps intermarrying with, with, a, with a local nobility, that way ensuring the dynasty goes ahead you know, with a cord, that the, the items in the grave, the cooking spit was domestic, the, the cloth cutting shears, domestic, the pestle and mortar, domestic, all these domestic things, because we know she had ostomalacia, which is rickets. So we assume that uh, she'd been giving birth to children, which gives you uh, ostomalacia. The fact that we're close to the sea, she would have had her pick of vitamin C and D with, with, with fish. But a number of years ago, the museum sent off away some bones to be analysed with this new process. It's, it's isotope analysis like advanced form of DNA, and she's not from the Isle of Man. So, so we started thinking, and the great thing about Wikipedia and Google and all this stuff, you can share your, your processes, and people often come and analyse the finds in, in the museum. And someone called Price that's working in Uppsala in Sweden, which is the main uh, ceremonial area of the Vikings, he says that's not a cooking spit, that, that's a sayer's wand, and that what you've got in Peel Castle is a wise woman. So everything that in the grave points to her being this uh, sayer, uh, from the from the Scandinavian times, you know what I mean. So so in the period since we've dug, things change and techniques change, which is why archaeologists uh, you'll see that she always left uh, uh, what we uh, a section of trench, so that if anyone coming back at a later date can actually go back and examine our techniques to find out, you know, if we did it if we did it right. I'm a digger, Phil. I like to dig. You know, some people like to do yoga and some people like to do this and that, but I like to get down on my knees and it's so therapeutic. And uh, to create a, a fantastic context so and expose, and particularly we're still sitting in Peel Castle, that sometimes every scrape was 100 years. 
So, you know, a multi-period site like this, where you're going through the medieval, the Viking, the early Christian, and then into the Iron Age, and then into the, you know, Neolithic, potentially. It's so exciting. And, and of course, what you're doing, and Rachel, Dr. Rachel Krellin, who came over, she was very inspirational, as was David Freak, the director of the excavations here. And you go down in a trench, you're with maybe five other people in a line, and you're sitting and you're, and you're talking. And you're talking about what you're finding, you're thinking about how it goes back. So that's the start of the community. You get up and then you have lunch. This, this site here was famous for its piccalilli sandwiches. Because what we did, one thing we haven't got on the Isle of Man is an archaeological degree course. We have no university doing that. So as you know, it was Leicester and Newcastle that came over to do uh, Burke. But here, it was Liverpool University. And here's, here's a bit of a dichotomy, because some archaeological students don't particularly like getting their fingernails dirty. So sometimes, if it was a bit wet, there would be a bit of a whinge. Do we have to start at nine, and then they want to finish early? So here, on Peel, to raise money, which we were very short of at the time, we started a travel agency, and what we did is we advertised archaeological digs where people could pay to learn to dig. So they paid £600 a week to come to this incredible site under uh, David Freak's direction and we, we taught them archaeology. And of course those people then wanted to come start at eight and finish at six and that was a way of doing it. So, so in terms of, of Peel Castle we had this huge uh, following and of, of course it attracted people. It was very exciting. Just go back to the dig and I can show you pictures of uh, uh, Princess Margaret. Remember that our patron was the uh, Magnus Magnuson. Uh, Crown Prince of Japan came. So all these people, it attracted, it had that power uh, to attract those people. And we taught them about the history and, and of Peel Castle and the Isle of Man at that point. And uh, so that's a huge benefit to publicising the Isle of Man. And some of our students went off and some went on to Time Team. Do you know what I mean? The, the other thing about the Isle of Man, and we, we've had a long chat before this interview about politics, is that that's one of the things that happened. And there was a, a significant change from the Government Property Trustees to MNH. And, and these things happen and you've got to accept them. But the process of having a, uh, an archaeological school here uh, no, never materialised. But uh, the excitement of, of digs, uh, it inspires people's imaginations. And we started a travel agency and that's, that's how I got in, into th that business. Um, we had a fund, we were, got fantastic sponsorship from local companies and we had some money and the idea was we were going to re-roof the gatehouse and change the entrance and also put some portal frames up in what we call the Derby apartments which are north of, because we've archaeologically cleaned them to give some sort of idea of what was going on here. Um, certain people have certain ideas, I think um, uh, Stephen Harrison, our, our last one of the previous directors, you know, he, he wanted to put a cap on the castle. My feeling is this castle's been used for, we know of, 6,000 years. Why can't it keep being used by the people? We don't want to don't ruin it, but let's make it more accessible. Um, unfortunately, during COVID, we look around and it's been really harmed by, by rabbits. Do you know what I mean? But as I say, uh, well done, Connie, you know, for starting the process of actually restoring the castle. So let's hope that that happens. And, and don't forget, Phil, just behind us, you know, a very small area was excavated and we did a few trial trenches and anywhere we put a trench down we found uh, burials. That's not saying we need any more information on the burials because we excavated over 200 here. But this site is, is you know, it's a, a jewel in, in the Isle of Man's crown 
and I'm sure there's there's other investigations and work that could go on in in the castle, and and what Rachel was doing um, is, is is excellent, and I know places like St Michael's Isle that would be a wonderful target, and and I I follow magazines and other archaeological teams, and there's something called Dig Ventures which publicly fund excavation, and so there are opportunities out there um, for the Isle of Man to be showcased. I mean, as Rachel will tell you, how many. Uh, Bronze Age burial mounds have we excavated properly? Very, very few. And we've got, is it 190? Over 190? Of course, uh, what uh, Rachel was also saying was this was the, 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 the entertainment for uh, Victorian uh, gentlemen. Uh, they would go out and, and dig a site uh, in, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon or probably a Saturday afternoon. Um, and find, you know, they, they were only looking for the, the, the exciting things like fancy knives or yes. brooches or, or jewellery um, and all the other stuff which now can tell us so much more about the site uh, was, was largely discarded. In- interestingly, literally 20 yards from where we are was an Iron Age roundhouse which turned out to be a grain store that had been fiercely burnt to the ground. So the carbon layer underneath was, was actually quite good. So the mush was an, analysed. And, and David got a phone call one day and said, you found something really, really special. And he said, what's that? And he said, um, you found in, in, the, in the mush, you found a flea. And David said, well, fine. What's special about that? And said, well, we, we can't find anything like it anywhere in Europe and the closest relative to it is actually in America we thought oh we found the link but here just below our feet is the oldest flea ever found in Europe (laughs) (laughs) no one on the Isle of Man could could argue that we are living in times of plenty Uh, you know finances are tight Uh, so 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 why why should Isle of Man government be interested in this why why do you think uh, funding should be put into projects like this well, I think you're aware that pre-COVID, um, I had several meetings with the the government, various departments, tourism, enterprise, and particularly MNH and Edmunds Southworth, because I've been a guide doing sort of serious tour work now for about four years, and 90% of my tours are Viking tours. So the very word Viking, not just because of the Isle of Man, but because of what's let's be let's be fair, what's happened on telly. And the programme, the Vikings, has stimulated lots of it, lots of interest. For for many years, we're, we've been quite Celtic, haven't we? This sort of Celtic feel to the Isle of Man. But actually, you know, 466 years of Viking rule, it's probably longer than anywhere else. And we, do we celebrate it properly? I don't think we do. And that's weird, isn't it? Because the land division is the Vikings. The language, some of the language, the place names of Viking, are, are laws of the Viking. Do you know what I mean? And, and some of the structures around are Vikings. So we don't celebrate that enough. And that's we, we embarked on a project pre-COVID where we were looking at building a Viking uh, experience, if you like, longhouse and associated dwellings in, in St. John's as a major tourist attraction. So, so for me, I think, and, and I think Ranald and the Department of Tourism, they've, they've, they've got this plan now to grow tourism by to, up to half a million, isn't it, in, in, in sort of 10 years. So how are they going to do that? We need some, some attractions on the Isle of Man that have that pulling power, and, and Vikings certainly do it. And I think we, we need to have some portfolio, not just only places, but some portfolio events on the Isle of Man to help tell us about the culture. 
you know, I, I do these things called E. Volden and E. e Hauner and some of these, these fire festivals. It's frankly sometimes quite difficult to get support. Culture Vannon have ama- been amazing. Do you know what I mean? I've had, I've had lots of help and I've got a little bit of money from the TED, but we need to sort of invest in these projects now and, um, and focus more on tourism. And archaeology, actually, we're sitting here talking about archaeology is one of those things that can be done. And look at our castles. I always feel that Castle Russian centrally heated 365 days a year and okay if they've they've got to do conservation work but why isn't it open 365 days i i uh, i sent an email to our our member for tourism because i was uh, walking along the promenade and heard him on the on the radio um, and it was i think it was in may saying you know we're getting ready for the start of the season and i sent him an email and said the season starts on the first of january now tourism on the isle of man could be extended all year and that is the expectation and while we've got this golden period that the euro rate is on a parity with the dollar every day i'm out with americans let's let's market the isle of man as a you know a year-round destination let's open up some of these sites we've got Milntown, you know we've got all these amazing places we've got timwald which is interesting in its own right we could we could do that and i think we, we were debating that the house strategy at the moment is, is working and, and good luck to you Alf but you know trying to pass it on to private enterprise maybe that's a good thing but let's let's have some meetings and, and, and let's 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 do that and take it forward but we've we've got to focus on a few key projects and I, th- I thought the Viking village had had a lot of legs and good good luck to Christian up in Sandygate but but uh, you know Timwald St John's world had potential world heritage site what a place to locate um, a Viking stroke medieval village with you know a, a bit of a theatre, a feasting hall that could take two coach loads because where do, where do we go in in the winter? So we could really extend our season that way. And we actually did a feasibility survey, which I think has just got a bit sucked into the ether because of because of COVID. So uh, it'd be great if we could re- rejuvenate that. Do you think um, there's enough in the economic strategy to infuse you to to encourage you to believe that? Uh, this, uh, you know, the, the prospect of bringing more t- tourists to the island, celebrating our, our history. Um, do, do you think? Do you think there's enough there? I don't. I'm not quite sure that I've seen that that spark that's actually going to encourage people. What we seem to have difficulty is we have this vision. I'm talking about this, haven't we? So, you know, I started here in, in 84, spent sort of three or four, four or five years on the excavations, came out with all these ideas, and, we're, you know, why haven't they been able to, to go forward in, in all this time? And here we are having this conversation, it's like conversation again, Phil. There's, there's opportunities that are out there, but we, we've, got to, we've got to enable them. I think I even heard it on your programme talking about working with civil servants. It's not, this isn't right. The, the attitude's got to be, how can we make this work? And take a, a risk. If we think an idea is good, let's go with it. Let's not be frightened, because unless we do that, we're never going to get anywhere. So do you agree with John Shakespeare? Do you think more government funds should be invested in this, or are these old pots and bones best left in the ground? Could more be done to use our heritage and culture to promote the Isle of Man as a holiday destination, and in more general promotion of the island so international audiences see much more than just our low-tax status? Please get in touch with philgorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the programme. And don't forget, the podcast is available from Manx Radio's website. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn, Goromayus and Geishakrum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>